Welcome to the podcast. Um, we are speaking with James Wilcox of Untamed Borders, and they let their clients access some of the world's most inaccessible, interesting places. Um, and it has a number of commitments over for um, commitments to responsible travel. Um, they are involved in tree planting, which I really like. This is in Afghanistan. They employ the first women tour guides, not only in Afghanistan, but also Tajikistan. And they make sure that the communities benefit from their presence. Besides that, James sits on the boards of a number of organizations. Um, Free to Run is one of them. And they create safe spaces for women to do sport in post-conflict countries. Once again, Afghanistan, but also countries such as Iraq. So I asked James about a number of topics, not just uh, responsible travel, uh, but also vaccine passports, vaccine tourism. Very interesting. Without further ado, here is the podcast with James based in the UK. Uh, so I'm here with um, uh, James Wilcox uh, from Untamed Borders. Uh, welcome. Thank you, Peter. Great. And I've been uh, introduced to you by Anneli, uh, person back um, uh, from Pakistan. I understand that uh, well, she said you would be a perfect candidate, um, really, to come on the podcast. Um, you do authentic travel experiences um, to the world's most interesting and uh, inaccessible places, I see on your website, and um, formed in 2008. Uh, by professional fixers and uh, journalists to reach these hard-to-access places. Were you a journalist or were you a professional fixer at that point or when you started it? Or? Well, it initially started, uh, th there were two guys, one Afghan uh, guy and one Pakistan guy, and they generally worked with professional people, so uh, um, journalists or researchers or documentary makers sure. or photographers. Um, I had more of a background in tourism and, and we met up and, and between the three of us, we decided that um, there was some, some space for bringing more tourists to, to places that are sometimes overlooked. So certainly at that stage um, and still to this day, Afghanistan is, is, is for various reasons overlooked as a, as a place for tourists mm -hmm. and up to, a, up to a point Pakistan is as well. So part of our... Um, Yeah, what we do is 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 be able to guide people in, in places they probably wouldn't be able to manage um, themselves independently. So that's our that's generally when we look. So now we work in uh, in, in 30 countries across Central Asia, um, Russia, the former Soviet Central Asia, Middle East, and parts of Africa. Great. Yeah, and I was I've been traveling to many places myself, but mainly in Africa, which are hard to get to. Uh, and a little bit in Asia as well, countries that just opened up like Myanmar um, a number of years ago. Uh, those are actually the places for me that that, that give me the best memories, um, I must say. Those are really rewarding. People are really welcoming for me, probably because they don't see that many tourists and more, many people really visiting. So they're more grateful, really, that you visit their places. May I ask um, what it is for you that appeals to these places? Why did you start Untamed Borders? Yeah, I think there's something about any... I mean, we try and give whatever what we would like to call an authentic experience. Now, what it what is authentic? In a way, everything in the world is authentic. I mean, it's it is what it is. But a lot of the places that we guide in, as you said, there isn't much of a tourism industry. So mm -hmm. when people visit that country or visit that region, they don't see things through the prism of of tourism. They see it kind of as 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 places are. And and as you said, a lot of people find that extremely interesting. Um, and then we have places like you know, Afghanistan or Pakistan have a huge amount of interesting 
stuff to see, a yeah. huge amount of uh, interesting sort of cultural places to see, some amazing geography. So you mix that together, and we can put together some um, we can put together some great trips. Mm-hmm. But to, to go towards a little bit what um, what your podcast is about, when you are one of the few people that brings tourists to a region, you have an additional responsibility to make sure that that's done correctly. You're kind yeah. of setting standards up to a point. You're setting expectations. Um, and so we're very conscious um, when we bring tourists to Somalia or to Afghanistan or to, or to somewhere that really hasn't had a huge amount of international tours before, mm-hmm. that we do it in a, in, a, in a positive way. And I think we have this sort of internal phrase where we think, you know, a trip is only successful if the people, you know, going on the trip have a good time, have a rewarding time, and the, the communities that we visit have a rewarding time. And that can be done in lots of different ways, but that's the ethos that we kind of live by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that you um, that you really want to have benefits for the environment, uh, for the communities indeed, like you just said, also for your guests as well, um, to have a real adventure. And it says on your website, or to the safety of everyone uh, involved as well. And you email to me, um, You reply, you mentioned that you do not deal with repeated uh, cookie cutter travel and uh, or commitment to responsible tourism. Also, I'm not cookie cutter either. Um, can you expand a little bit about what, what you mean uh, by you do not do repeated cookie cutter travel? You do different from other companies, basically, is what you're saying, correct? Or? I think I think what we're saying is, I mean, almost by the very nature of the places that we guide and the relatively low volume of of people that are interested in the in the areas that we guide it's not as though we have you know a group trip that's that's two weeks that we run you know we run 26 times a year back to back that's what i mean by the cookie cutter for sure we have itineraries that are kind of popular mm-hmm. either for private trips or for group trips but i think the maximum we would run those as group trips would be two or three times a year in different seasons with slightly different um different um kind of expectations so for example we have a two-week trip to afghanistan that we run three times a year one of which is in the winter where the guests can watch buzkashi which is the afghan national sport it's sort of played on uh, on horseback and they use a dead goat as a ball like run instead of a ball um, there's a trip in the autumn where there's like all the fruit the melons and the grapes are out and it's really great for um the sort of stopping by places and, and sort of eating. There's one in the spring, which is probably the, you know, it's the greenest that, that sort of Afghanistan is. So they've all got a slightly different sort of theme. And I guess that's what I mean by, by cookie cutter is that mm-hmm. we don't just continually repeat things. We're trying to make every trip um, have a certain amount of um, uniqueness about it. Sure. And, and I guess from what I was saying was it, it, we have to balance. I think you touched on it there. We have these kind of four commitments, how we've broken down our idea for responsible travel. One, mm-hmm. we want to be responsible to the guests and give them like, yeah, a really original, um, exciting, uh, you know, lasting experience. We have a commitment to the safety of them, of our guests and our staff. And we have a, two commitments, one to the communities we visit and one to the environment. And we have to balance them up. Mm-hmm. Um, for some certain, re- certain reasons, we have to stay in certain types of accommodation for security reasons, which means we're perhaps not being as positive as, as we could be for the community. Maybe the accommodation, mm-hmm. um, which would perhaps benefit the local community more, is not secure enough for our guests. Same with where we would, you know, potentially procure water or something like this. We might use more plastic than we than we would like to in a certain area because we don't want we don't have a 
a sort of fixed base or an office, again, for security reasons. So we might not have somewhere where we can have a filtration unit or something like that. So yeah. we've balanced up the four areas. Um, and But the, having those sort of four areas means that whenever we look at um, revising trips or whether we look at expanding new trips, we can try and um, ensure those, you know, those four commitments are reached. So that's what I mean by not a sort of cookie cutter um, responsible travel policy um, we have to balance up, I think, especially with the security aspect. Yeah. Another another thing that, that can actually affect um some of the other the other yeah. areas. If I may go on with that, you just say security a few times um now. Obviously, these are places that people normally do not go to. And um that may be for, for a reason. Sometimes it's just because it's not popular, sometimes because it's just not in people's minds. Um, but it could also be because people are just scared to 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 go to a place that that might normally not be so accessible um so is cl clients do they have safety on their minds and what do you do from your side to ease their minds and to keep them safe you mentioned already that accommodation sometimes is not the best for the locals but best for security is there any other other measures that you put in place uh, for the safety of travelers or yeah, I mean, look, any any tour operator assesses risk. I mean, that's that that's what we do. Sure. Well, that's what we're supposed to do as a job. Um, you know, so when we look at, the, you know, when people look at drivers, um, they look at, you know, the amount of hours they drive, um, whether they're making sure they're not under the influence of, of alcohol or drugs, mm -hmm. um, making sure vehicles are, are maintained. Um, if people are going horse trekking, all these kinds of, so make sure there's first aid trained people. Now, this is a normal thing for any, any tour operator. We just happen to work in areas sometimes where there is a risk, an additional risk of sort of anti-government groups, um, you know, doing things. So if we're talking about Afghanistan, there's a much greater risk of there being a an insurgency attack in Kabul than there would be on, on Bonaire, for right, example. Right. That's just the reality of the situation. But we have to weigh up what that risk is and take, you know, action accordingly. And that might be, as we said, um, looking at the accommodation of where we stay, looking mm -hmm. at how long we, uh, looking at whether we, list specific details on the website um as in hotel names and things like that mm -hmm. looking at um the size of the groups that we manage look at um, the length of time we spend at certain places compared to other places where we think it's an additional risk so there's a lot of things um that we take uh that we take into account mm -hmm. and as you say some of this um risk especially sort of um insurgency risk um some of it's sort of perceived and some of it is real. So it's also for us to kind of, you know, balance it out a little bit. Go away through it, assess what the risk is, and then how we're we managing to reduce it, just like anything else. Fair enough. And the communities, uh, you village, you say you do quite a lot for them as well. You do, for one thing, you do tree planting in uh, Afghanistan. Obviously, that's benefiting the community as well. You work with Afghan Aid. Uh, may I ask, is it, is it only in, in Afghanistan that you do tree planting? And how do you work with Afghan Aid? How does that work? Do you know how many trees are being planted? Because it's something that's close to my heart, tree planting. That's why I'm asking, really. Yeah, we, we, we started this actually last year. I mean, we, 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 we wrestled a bit with... Because, look, any, any tourism that we have, any mm -hmm. tourism, anyone that's getting on a plane and flying somewhere, they are... You know, contributing to you know a greater carbon footprint. Sure. So that's just the reality of it. And I know there's there's carbon offsetting programs, and the carbon offsetting programs are great. Um, for us, it was hard for us to sort of manage that. So we said, where do we know? Like we know Afghanistan very well. We know that there has been over the years, for lots of different reasons, a lot of degradation of the soil, of of areas, there's a lot of illegal foresting. So 
any program that helps uh, plant trees is not really about a carbon offsetting mm-hmm. thing. It's about um, just working um, to yeah improve the environment for, sure. for the yep. people yep. there. Yep. And we've worked in Afghanistan for a long time. So Afghan AIDS program, there was a few different organizations that, that, that we could have worked with. And at the moment, we work with Afghan AIDS because we know them very well. They're a British-based uh, charitable organization that's been working in Afghanistan for, I think, 25 years or 30 years they've been there for for not for a long period of time um we we've known some of the work that they do um and we've in in, in the past we've worked with them a little bit uh, um, when they've had a charity auction one of the places on our ski trips to afghanistan was used for that we've tried to do some sort of cross promotion mm-hmm. and when it came to um looking for an organization to work on yeah, doing something back in Afghanistan, um, not necessarily really carbon offsetting, but but pl- but doing something to improve the environment with the you know the degradation um, of the landscape that is in Afghanistan. There's a lot of legal, illegal logging, so replanting trees is just about improving the environment for people um, within Afghanistan. And so yeah, their project fitted really nicely with us. So it was great to continue that relationship and and be able to do something. So yeah, every. A percentage of every group trip um, that people book with us, um, money goes towards um, replanting trees or planting trees. Brilliant. And uh, I see you in and you're working or active in a lot of countries, right? not only uh, not only Afghanistan, but also Pakistan, Russia, Kazakhstan, uh, Siberia, Tajikistan, um, also Belarus by any chance? Uh, no, we've not done it in Belarus. <laughs> I mean, they're in the news right today, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know where you, you get a flight nowadays. You might get a stop off in uh, in Minsk. By the yeah, who knows? Hey, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we do some other projects. Often things often come up organically. So opportunities come up which we feel this is something really good that we can support. So when we start working in the country, it's not necessarily that we're like we need to find an organisation from the very first trip that we're okay. going to work with. Sometimes finding an organisation that we have an association with takes a bit of time but in Tajikistan we work with an organization that um helps train the first um female mountain guides yeah in Tajikistan yep, so there were no female, female mountain guides before um so we worked with them and that, that makes sense for us it's about you know putting something back in the community but yep. it makes more sense generally as a travel company that we do something where we have we can bring a lot more to offer yeah so um Paying for rebuilding for building a school is not necessarily the best use of our time and resources. Whereas working with um, organisations that train um, female mountain female guides in um, countries where you know people don't usually have these opportunities, we can not only help that training but also give that opportunity. So um, we've worked with uh, female guides in Pakistan. We employ, I believe, the only female. Uh, guide in Afghanistan. Um, we work with female guides in a, in a number of countries in Syria, yeah. Iran. Is is that accepted in those countries now? Or don't you do that? Um... It varies from place to place, okay. um, and some places it's at you know the, the, there is somewhere like uh, Iran or even in uh, Iraq or Syria. There is you know it's not being a female tour guide is not necessarily something that's completely out of the ordinary. However, in Afghanistan, it's it's a quite a conservative environment, so we had to work quite carefully how that would um, be acceptable to the family and how it would be acceptable to the wider community and think of the safety of the um, 
of um, the lady that we employ. So yeah, for sure, in, in, in some areas, it's much more difficult. And also it, being a city guide is different to traveling with a group. So if you can go back to your home every day and you're working, you know, you're working with drivers who everybody trusts, then it's it's less of an issue than if you're going on a multi-day trip with people and having to stay in a hotel overnight. You know, there's more concerns from the family. So mm-hmm. um, there are a... Yeah, there's a number of things to sort of overcome, but that's it, it, it's interesting. It's really fantastic being kind of at the forefront of of being able to sort of develop that, and that's what we talk about. Um, there's a huge, it's a huge privilege, but a huge uh, responsibility to try and introduce this because if yeah. we do it badly, then it can put back, you know, the idea of women working as tour guides back, you know, ten years or something. Because if something happens to one of these ladies, then everybody says it's not a safe profession. So yeah. there's a huge amount of responsibility to try and make sure. Any challenges um, you have come across, or? Um, not. I mean, look. In, in addition to that, I help organise the only mixed gender sporting events in Somaliland and and uh, Afghanistan. They're both marathons: the marathon Afghanistan yeah. and yeah, I was coming to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sit on the board of an organization called Free to Run that um, provides safe spaces for, for women to do sport in post-conflict countries, including Iraq and mm-hmm. Afghanistan. So with all of these organizations trying to make sure, it, it, it from the very beginning, discussions with the community is key. Mm-hmm. You know, you talking to parents, talking to um, religious leaders and community leaders and discussing what the objectives are and what the what the benefits can be and it it just the, there's always issues but the issues are generally you just have to take your time mm-hmm. and you have to discuss and and do things step by step like with the tour guides doing things um as city guides first and then perhaps in the future doing sort of you know where people would stay overnight to different areas um so there's 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 always issues there's always um some people will, will will say it's 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 wrong. It's too much. Um, sometimes the parents are fine, but then they get some pressure from other relatives, and 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 people just don't want to do the program anymore, the training program or or, or the race. And it's not really my place as a as a white dude from the UK to say this is how your community should work. It's yeah. more to create the opportunities and 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 help facilitate the discussions. And hopefully things, you know, move so that um, these opportunities are presented. Yeah, absolutely. And and why why sports? Why marathons? Is that something that you do yourself? Or um, it, it's just how, as we said, things develop organically. It's not that I set out and said this is going to be the best way of of doing things. But I got involved in um, in ski tourism in Afghanistan in 2011, and there was a ski race, and it was a, it felt just a very beneficial thing. Mm-hmm. And also, Untamed Balls got to bring out tourists to go skiing as well so it was beneficial for untamed borders and it was something that we knew something about you know outdoor activities and 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 being able to tap into international guides who could come out and train people you know teach people how to ski and all of that kind of stuff so when that happened then it was an idea to do other sort of sporting events it felt like um like i said untamed borders had some knowledge and experience of how to do this mm-hmm. so it makes sense that we do it rather than building this like i don't know how to build i'm not a bricklayer so i don't know how to build a school but i do know how to put on events like yeah. that's kind of what we do so let's do that and that's, that's how we kind of got into the mm-hmm. into the sports and i think sport is a positive um very much so, it's yes. a positive thing and it also for our guests traveling you know we talk about um 
some, a, a trip being beneficial for the the people that go on the trip, but also, you know, the people from the community. So putting on an event is fun for the community without any looking at any other benefits. It's just a fun to have. And international people going, they get to run or ski with people from uh, the country they visit. So they get to have a bond and a, and, and a connection. Mm-hmm. So there's some of the most successful trips as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Like it's just a win-win all around. Makes, makes sense to me. And I saw on your website as well, you mentioned um, one area there that your campsites are set up with a designated toilet area. Uh, human waste is buried at least six inches deep, uh, 200 feet from water, the campsite, any other trails. Um, obviously, I just did a podcast with the World Toilet Organization, Jack Sim. I'm sure he'll be very you know, grateful to hear that. Uh, just, just for my information, is it unusual for an adventure travel company, a tracking company to do that? Um, as you mentioned, so profoundly on your website or is it is it just something that you do and wanted to point out i think it's just something we don't want to point out i okay. mean the when we began doing you know really expanding our expeditions look we don't do a lot of expeditions but we always did a few in the wahan corridor which is in the northeast of um afghanistan and then we started doing some trips in tajikistan and kyrgyzstan and the guy um in 2015 the, he doesn't no longer works with Dante borders he's called jan Bakker. he was also a dutch, jan a Bakker, dutch guy yeah. oh, he's very dutch indeed yeah yeah exactly it doesn't get more dutch than no, uh, no, than, no. than, than, than <laughs> yeah. and yeah. i mean he he um is very conscious of you know the environmental things and he put together not that we didn't have a, a bit of a policy before but he put together exactly how we were going to work, how we were going to you know, make sure the local guides um, and, and staff sort of followed them. And so, yeah, it comes from, from him, which is kind of the, you know, the best practice, sort of international best practice. And again, when we're, when we're in remote areas of, of Afghanistan, yeah, it's important to try not to cut corners, to um, set a standard for, for trekking that everyone will follow. And so we do... Yeah, we do our best to do that. I don't think what we what we've listed there is something is something that everybody should do. Yeah, I mean yeah, it's yeah, not, uh, it's not going beyond, but it's not especially local operators or if you're trying to run at a budget or something like that. You they don't, don't do you know, that. people yeah. they're tired at the end of the day. They don't always want to do it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's what everybody should do when they're. Um, when, when they're doing uh, sort of trekking and expeditions. Makes sense. I just wanted to touch very, very briefly because everyone is totally sick of this uh, topic already, um, the pandemic, uh, obviously. And uh, But I saw an article on CDC um, talking about travelers. That was just from yesterday. Travelers should avoid all, all travel to Afghanistan. Um, you know, there's this uh, spreading COVID-19 variants. Um, so I'm sure this has affected your business uh, quite quite severely. Just very quickly, how has it been for you and what are your predictions for the future, for the near future? Um, I mean, for Untable, I mean, you know, we work in the travel business, so you can yeah. imagine it's not been... Uh, not easy, huh? No. It's not been the easiest no, no. Uh, 50 months. Yeah. But um, we're, we're, we're a small company. I mean, we didn't do anything from end of March last year to September. And then we started doing a few private trips, a few things here and there. Um, all of the trips that we, we arrange, I mean, we follow the the procedures and the standing operators operating procedures and the entry and exit requirements of the countries that we work in and the airlines that bring our guests to mm-hmm. and actually our our sort of operating procedures in the countries are often um stricter than the the local um the local governments with regards to people wearing masks and, and sanitizing mm-hmm. and removing people from groups if they if they have symptoms and these kind of things um whether people should travel is is 
is a, is a good question. And I absolutely agree that there is a there's a strong argument to say that yeah, people should just not travel for leisure um, in the current climate. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's difficult for us in that although um, in the UK, you know, the team can kind of manage. Um, you know the the guys and ladies in the countries that we work in. There's no sort of furloughing, no government handouts, no nothing for for those for that for them. And so to have tourists come back has been has been great. I mean, we've tried to help people out as much as we can, but it's it, it's not possible to support uh, all of the different people in the, all of the different countries that that we work in. So um, with that attitude, I think. We, all we do when we, we arrange travel is to follow the rules of, of the countries we work in. Sure. And I think that's that's all that anybody can uh, can do. As yes, a question right. about the yeah. future, yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, one of the things that was interesting is that um, parts of uh, Africa and the Middle East that we work in, by the you know, middle of last summer, they would, you know, it was all about taking a PCR test 72 hours before arriving and all of this kind of stuff, which only came into, you know, play in, in Europe, you know, towards the end of, you know, towards the autumn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, often places in the in the, the Middle East and, and parts of Africa we worked in were kind of ahead on the testing to travel and the testing to enter and the testing to sort of leave and, and get on planes policy. Um, so I think that's going to stay for, for a while. Um like testing to travel. I mean, maybe within the EU, once there's lots of vaccinations, then mm-hmm. it's going to, you know, there might be um, more freedom of movement. But I think to a lot of the places that we work, um, yeah, there will be, yeah, it'll be test test to travel for quite some time. Absolutely. And obviously talking about testing and talking about the requirements in countries, um, obviously they're talking about uh, digital vaccine passports. Uh, the UK actually now has it. You can go to your NHS app and uh, four clicks or something, you get a QR code, which you can scan in. It tells you the vaccinations you've had. Um, quite a few articles are against it and some are in favor of it, of the uh, vaccine passports. I just want to have your opinion. Um, the uh, UNWTO, uh, they gave recommendations to what, what countries uh, really should do. They say that the certificates should be free, universally available, non-discriminatory, and also must be limited in time and use. Um, and obviously, Pascal Ami, who is the um, chair of the Tourism Ethics Committee, is hoping that this will make a positive difference uh, for the travel industry. But we also have the World Health Organization winning against uh, governments introducing these uh, vaccine passports. And they say, well, the data should be stored, but should not be used uh, to bar people from entry. Just want to have your opinion. What do you think about uh, these certificates? If I may ask, of course. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, look. In in a way, it's it's like there's, there's a lot smarter people than me are going to make decisions about the, the pros and cons of of having um you, having vaccination certificates to be able to travel as opposed to tests or as opposed to other things. Yeah. And I can see arguments on both sides. I mean, you know, something in the UK, a lot of people uh, have had both vaccines. Some people have had one. Some people have had none. And therefore, to to allow some people to be able to do things and others not, or others only do it when they've had a test, which costs them money. I can see that it's not particularly fair, mm-hmm. but there's also the practicality of of trying to encourage um, you know the economies and things to get up. So 
it, like in a lot of things, it, it's it's mm. like whatever happens will happen. And there's a lot sm- more smarter people than me that will um, come up with the policies. Um, I know there's a number of countries in the world where the vaccination um, is, it, it, you can use instead of a PCR test. So I might, you might see that coming up that mm-hmm. you, it will be one or the other. You can either have a recent PCR test to enter a country or you can have, show a vaccination. But I think it's going to be difficult to have the, um, the vaccination certificate, especially because we're not sure whether people need boosters. There's different variants. There's sure. all sorts of other things mm-hmm. going on. I think this is a, I don't think this vaccination program is going to be the end of everything. I think there will be other variants. There will be people needing a booster, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, if I may ask, yeah, you sorry, you, I can't you, give you a no, no, that's that's that's, 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 that's absolutely fine. Yeah, you you're working in a lot of countries, and I remember when I was traveling through, you know, around the world. I had to have a certificate, uh, for example, for yellow fever. Is there any requirements already for the countries that you work in, uh, maybe uh, Yemen or Afghanistan, that you have to have, for example, yellow fever certificate to enter? Yeah, sure. A lot of places in Africa, like we, we, we work in South Sudan. We just had some people in South Sudan. Had yeah. Some people left uh, Central African Republic today. Yeah. Um, DRC, yeah, you need a yellow yellow fever certificate. So having um, having vaccination certificates, having documentation, having all sorts of stuff, is like visas, is... Like normal. it's normal for us yeah. having security, like having lo- lots of paperwork Makes is no quite difference. standard for, for where we work. So if it's another, P, like, you know, this PCR test is something that we have, we've just had to roll with it. Like yeah. Our clients, have, our guests have had to roll with it. Like, you know, and we just have to give them the advice they can get in their home countries. Actually, a lot of the places we work in, getting the PCR test to leave is is very easy because most people are not getting tested. The only reason people get tested is, is for travel and therefore everything's set up um to get it quickly so you can fly so yeah i mean i it's i i can argue this sort of moral question about having to have certain data uh to be able to move from place to place mm-hmm. but this is already in, in, in the case in the world people yeah. are restricted by by nationality um by what certificates they've got by uh, finance you know, most people in the world can't travel because they haven't got enough money. Yeah. So no we're all restricted in a way. And this is just, for me, it's just another, another it's just another travel hurdle we have to cross. Fair enough. Then one last question I want to ask you about, I uh, don't know if you know anything about it, but vaccine tourism, um, they talk about, you know, legal, ethical, uh, health.com said something about, you know, you basically, when you do this, you're jumping the line, you're just jumping to another country as opposed to, you know, going in front of the line and for someone else in your own country. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it was quite big at the, especially when the vaccines first came out. There was these, there was certainly a couple of concierge services in London where you could go and get a, you know, it was a lot of money. It was like twenty five thousand pounds or dollars or something. You go to Dubai, you you know, live yep. it up in a luxury hotel, get a couple of jabs, and you would come back. I think there's less of it now because of. Everyone is vaccinated here in the UK. I suppose. Yeah, there, there, there's many more vaccines out yeah. there. So I think I think there's definitely people who have travelled, especially if they have dual nationality or they've got residency in one area, they may have travelled to another place uh, to get the vaccine. But the kind of stuff that you saw maybe in December or January um, is going to be it's less just because away. there's there's yeah. more vaccines. As a British person, yeah. You know, we love to queue. So jumping the queue is generally considered to be uh, pretty. I, pretty guess, I guess I'm not British. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm kind of um, you know I'm kind of against that um, uh, as a rule. Um, but I, I I know that if people have, uh, the, you know, it, during the whole of COVID, 
people who have plenty of money have been able to travel. Oh. I mean, this is just the reality of it. I mean, you know, you've got this. Um, it was illegal to you to leave the UK um, for non-urgent yeah. reasons, and there was a five thousand pound fine. But if a five thousand pound fine means so nothing, nothing to you, yeah, and you've got your yeah. private plane, yeah. you just are going to move around. So during this time, yeah, if if as is with everything in the world, if you have enough, if people have enough money, um, the rules don't always uh, don't always apply. And I don't, I never think that's very fair. But this is reality the vaccination yeah. thing is nothing new in that respect fair enough is there anything you would like to say to people that are listening uh, where can people find you uh, obviously there's a website untamedborders.com um, are they, are you on Facebook I hear that you don't like LinkedIn uh, you told me um, neither do I by the way I must say uh, no I don't, I don't. <laughs> well, the thing is it's quite a niche uh, area that I work in yeah. and so um, usually we, we I connect with people otherwise, but all of we're, we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Untamed Borders. Um, yeah, you can go to the website www.untamedborders.com, and if you're interested in any of the other projects that we're involved in, you can Google Marathon of Afghanistan, you can Google Somaliland Marathon, you can Google the organisation Free to Run. Um, and you can Google an organization called the Afghan Sports Trust. I'm involved in in all of these, and they're all very worthy organizations. So if you look at those and think that's something you'd want to support, then you can you can kind of support them through those uh, through those sites. Brilliant. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for inviting me, Peter. Really appreciate it. That was a podcast with James, James Wilcox um, from Untamed Borders. And his website is untamedborders.com. Um, you can find more information and the latest news on podcasts with an S.Earth. That's E-A-R-T-H with his page being forward slash Untamed Borders. Um, and you have been listening to Peter, Peter de Vries. Thank you very much for doing so. Don't forget to tune in next time. Also, have a look at uh, the latest projects that we're doing. It's called Sustainable News. Uh, it's on YouTube. And the website for that, sustainable.news, is coming shortly. Thank you very much.